I'm Johnny Pollard, and welcome to the One Giant Mind podcast. In this episode, I speak with Leslie Hoffman, the president of the New York Open Center, which is a not-for-profit offering hundreds of educational programs across holistic health, personal development, professional advancement here in New York City. She brought up an oldie but a goldie question in relationship to meditation and the experience of the mind incessantly thinking, but not just in meditation, also out of meditation. Why does the mind incessantly think? And in fact, can I even trust these thoughts that are constantly playing out? Are they reliable to lead my life? It's a great conversation, which I think you'll all appreciate. Johnny, I have a very basic question about meditation. I've been meditating for quite a while, yet I am always curious about the nature of the obsessive talking, thinking mind. Mm -hmm. What is that? I get a second of quiet, but I mean, not even when I'm meditating, it's, it's walking the street. And I guess the second part of the question to address is, can I even trust that? talking that's going on in my brain? I just picture it as this kind of takeover of my body and yeah. my mind. It's a very healthy question to ask, <laughs> an important one to ask. Um, it's my view that uh, the incessant, unrelenting commentator inside the mind that happens to be the sound, in the sound of the voice that you speak in, you may have noticed that, mm-hmm. which can be very easily mistaken for the self, you can listen to it enough and go, oh, yeah, that's me and that's what I, that's what I believe. That's who I am. Um, that phenomenon is what I refer to as uh, a neurosis um, that we all share in. That is as a result of a heightened state of stress that we're experiencing, living in an environment that we didn't biologically evolve to exist in and the sort of tick in the mind for us to grind over things that have absolutely no relevance or significance to anything that brings us joy meaning and enables us to fulfill a sense of purpose that contributes to the greater whole (laughs) (laughs) which grinds on our soul it grinds on our soul and um when left unchecked eats away at our self-confidence, our mm-hmm. sense of self, and leads us to believe that we are, f- you know, flawed, wretched creatures. <laughs> and then when we identify with that, we assume that identity and we behave like that. And we notice that we are often, too often governed by qualities and characteristics that are not conducive to deep loving connection and to uh, cultivating trust and belonging and connection in our community Mm. and rather the antithesis that gives rise to just a perpetual experience of desiring more wanting more feeling like there's a gaping hole in our human experience and we we need more we want more and um, because we're disconnected from the source of where more is which is deep within it seems logical and rational that we would acquire that outside of ourself. And so we invest what remaining energy we have after being so depleted from trying to keep the, the lunacy of our own mind at bay. <laughs> we, we go out and try and acquire things 
that we believe will satisfy the perceived deficit of ourself, that will fill the whole of what we believe we're lacking. And because we become so invested in that, we're not willing to admit to ourselves that it's not yielding anything that remotely satisfies us. And we become a slave to it. We're unwilling to admit. <laughs> so many are unwilling to admit that we're dissatisfied with the, the, the pursuit for fulfillment of things outside of ourselves. And then something extraordinary happens and <laughs> the unsustainability of that becomes very prevalent, either through crisis or just such deep suffering, you know, whatever that makes us go, okay, well, I've got to just change my tact here. Has anybody got any ideas? Meditation seems to be one a big go-to these days, which is fantastic because it actually leads us somewhere that provides us with more sustainable solutions to the problem. Mm. But going back to your original question, what is the problem? <laughs> Why are we experiencing this? Mm. It's because we're, we're, we're in a world now where the way that it is is so far removed from what our bodies are used to experiencing that enables us to feel safe, secure, connected, whole, complete. The pressure and the demands of the modern world are just so unnatural to our biological evolution that it causes this fear the threat to our survival. We know that it's not right. Our body's intelligence knows that it's not right. It can't deal with this amount of stimulation. And so that has a neurological implication, which causes our brains to function in a particular way where we become absolutely obsessed with trying to manufacture circumstances that might alleviate this impending danger. And worry and worry and worry and worry and worry and worry. So we just... And we've been running hot in the red for so long. And we've experienced things, traumas in our life, mm -hmm. having our sensibility violated by people that are also acutely ignorant of what's important to us as human beings, behave in ways towards us mm -hmm. that hurt us so deeply. And amidst our... Uh, the chaos of our mind, we have to try and process these, these, this pain and not do it so well. And as a survival mechanism to just get on with it and survive, we have this remarkable capacity to suppress, mm -hmm. <laughs> push these pains and traumas down and compartmentalize and put them in little boxes and then try and carry on like everything's okay. And over time, the external pressure and the demand and stimulation combined with the unresolved experiences of the past form a cocktail of unrest in us that causes it to start seeping like sewage <laughs> into our mind and start to fill our mind with the stench of the past and the unsustainability of the demands of the present moment. And despite all of our best intentions to remain present, to keep our attention on what is important and not get caught up in the nonsense. We get caught up in the nonsense and it takes, it can take us over. And so that, that, that's my opinion on, 
why we are the way we are. Well, I guess the other side of that then, that question, because I... <laughs> Fortunately, it's not that bad. Um, yeah, but but you, that's but, I paint I paint extreme. No, but but then in the other <laughs> side, and I do agree. You know, meditation is is particularly living in a city like New York City. You know, and all the the stressors and things coming at you. So then, when you find that moment when you're meditating and you're putting your thoughts at bay. All of the the emotional swell. All of a sudden, you've left a crack there to open up something that is unresolved from a long time ago. Mm. And here's the question that I ask myself: It's like, okay, I am sitting on this cushion at six thirty in the morning so that I can clear my mind. I don't have time for that crack mm -hmm. <laughs> right yeah. now. Yeah. You know, could I please just find some peace and mm. like? I'm not ready to start. So, so what do you do with that? R and R, you're requiring, yes. So, uh, it opens up an interesting can of worms. That question, and you know, there are many techniques that have been introduced to the West from the East. Um, some that carry with it the original intent and the kind of spiritual philosophy that comes with it, and some have been stripped bare of all of that, and they become kind of like a, a mechanistic device, if you like, mm. to elicit some kind of response inside the mind and body. And irrespective of all of that, each of these different techniques and practices emerge out of times and traditions um, that were very um, unique to that time. <laughs> and mm. they have been introduced to the West with a context that pertains to a time that's very different to now. And there are many techniques, actually, that are being practiced now in the West where practitioners report that experience. What you're describing is a very, very common experience practicing particular techniques that are about engaging what's happening inside the mind and the body head on without first establishing a baseline capability of rest and recovery, where you feel in that moment excited to confront what emerges as opposed to overwhelmed. Mm. And so there are certain techniques that can be practiced that first establish a baseline of sufficient self-awareness to be able to interact with any fluctuation of thought or feeling that is bubbling up from the past where you're able to contextualize it, respond to it, allow it to process with sufficient energy, vitality, and willingness for it to, to, to dissolve and let nature take its course and see that the dissolution and the resolution of past uh, afflictions, if you like, or traumas is one of the most natural things for the body to do if we can get out of the way of doing it and doesn't necessarily require us to psychologically participate. It's important to not be in denial, and it's important to be accepting and allowing of whatever comes up to come up, but not necessarily to have to psychologically participate. And there are some techniques that create a baseline of relief that enable a more conscious participation when you desire mm. to participate. So in the mornings where you're just like, hey, I just oh, give me a little bit of peace for a second. Let me just have a little bit of rest here. 
I don't want to necessarily have to deal with, you know, that thing that happened when I was 12 or, you know, that just keeps bursting through my subconscious into my conscious mind. There, there are those techniques that relieve that pressure incremen- incrementally and allow the body and the mind to recover in that way incrementally. And then there are those techniques when you want to do some of the deeper work to face it more head on. Now, this sequencing of techniques and practices is not even a conversation that's been had in the West yet. We haven't, we haven't become sophisticated enough to, to identify the, the sequencing of techniques and practices, to look back historically and understand where did these practices come from? In what context were they developed? For, for whom? And what were those people thousand years ago experiencing that required that this particular practice became the central practice? And were there any others that might have been forgotten, that might have been a precursor to them practicing that? These are very interesting questions that we need to ask that will help us contextualize all of these practices. That's part of the work of what One Giant Mind's doing, is just gently introducing sequences mm-hmm. based on some very simple knowledge of the way in which the mind's potential unfolds. And when we want to unfold the potential, what we first need to do is address the condition of the body and acknowledge the degree in which the mind can actually deal with what's going on in the body. So now I'll answer your question. (laughs) The relationship to our thinking, if you accept that what's happening inside the mind is not, not natural, it's not desirable, it's not reflective of your deeper nature, there is a, a clear distinction between c- creative, coherent, innovative thoughts that are benevolent and serve to create something powerful in the world. And then there are those cyclic, mundane, negative thoughts that are just chomping on things like a dog with an autoimmune condition that can't help, despite there being nothing on the paw. They chew and chew and chew until they almost eat their foot off and they have to get a bucket on their head. <laughs> We're kind of like that. We need a we need a sort of a, a bucket on our head <laughs> for a moment to stop gnawing and chewing. And I believe that the bucket on the head is meditation. It helps <laughs> us to stop kind of neurotically chewing on ourselves because mm-hmm. that's what we're doing when we're being self-deprecating and self-loathing and all of this nonsense that goes on inside of us. It, it, it's that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a kind of a gnawing away at our poor. Um, until we can't walk, we can become debilitated by our own self-deprecation. Hmm. It, it is the relationship to the thinking, and I, I'd love to share with you a technique. You know, you're learning it with the One Giant Mind app. You, Same. Um, the relationship to thoughts is re- very simple in a meditative practice. When we're not meditating, we can see it as the, the, the result of hyperstimulation. When we are meditating and we're practicing a specific technique that allows the body to move into a less excited state, we move into what is referred to as the relaxation response. The body starts to rest. The immune system kicks in properly and recognizes that the impressions of the past that haven't been resolved are, are like a virus that can be easily dissolved through just letting go. And we recognize then that what's taking place inside the mind in the meditative practice is just the disillusion of stresses leaving the body. And so our relationship to them is one of total acceptance without needing to participate, not trying to control the mind with thoughts, not judging our experience based on the content of our mind, because the content of our mind is just like the the tub of a washing machine doing a big load of washing. You know, you look at 
the the washing halfway through a wash cycle. Have you ever done that in a top end loader? You look inside, the water is putrid. You're like, how the heck are my clothes getting washed right now? There's no way. Anybody in their right mind would pull them out and put them in some clean water, but no, we we trust that there is a, a cycle going on. We put the clothes in, we press the button, we put the detergent in, it goes, vroom, 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 and the, the clothes miraculously come out clean, despite the fact that for about 25 minutes, the water was putrid. Same principle applies in meditation. We close our eyes, we allow the body to settle, we give ourselves that necessary repose for recovery, boost the immune system, and allow the brain to reset and what we might experience is a whole lot of putrid thoughts coming up through our mind. And our relationship is great. We don't stand next to a washing machine sort of staring at it going, is that tomato sauce staying going to come out? You know, we don't. We just allow it to do its thing. And when we open the the, the, the washing machine, we pull it out, we go, what do you know? It's clean. <laughs> Meditation is the same. We just need to persist with acceptance, allow the neurosis to play out, knowing that it is cleaning. It's a process of purification. It's when we start participating in the thoughts, thinking, investing in the content, mm-hmm. believing in the content, engaging the content. We're using fire to fight fire. Never meet thoughts with thoughts. Never try and combat thinking with thinking. And so having a device such as awareness of breath or mantra or you know something like this, to re-establish attention softly, effortlessly, enables us to just relinquish participation in the madness, if only for a second. We're retraining the brain. The work is being done. And when we open our eyes, we're interested in to what extent did that practice have an impact on our eyes open? What progress am I making as a human being, being present, open, Accepting, non-judgmental, compassionate, dynamic, creative, fearless. <laughs> All of these great qualities we hope a meditation practice would assist in cultivating. To what extent am I experiencing that? And less concerned with what was the, what was the weather of my meditation practice? <laughs> because at the end of the day, it's just like washing clothes. We don't sit down and analyze the way in which that happened, you know. We're washing clothes so that we have clean clothes because we need clothes to wear. We're washing our humanity because we need our humanity to exist and flourish in this world. We can get so caught up in the details of the experience of our meditation and lose sight of why we're doing it in the first place. And my slogan is, you know, we meditate for an eyes open experience, not an eyes closed experience. What happens with our eyes closed is of secondary or tertiary relevance to the primary thing, which is, you know, my eyes are open right now and how did that affect me and am I a better human being for it? Yeah. Was that helpful? Very helpful. I think you just, I think I was meditating when you were talking. (laughs) (laughs) No, I appreciate that. Oh, great. Thank you. It was really illuminating. Oh, wonderful. Thanks. The point I'd like to emphasize is that it's less about trying to control the quantity of thoughts inside our mind and more about refining the quality of our mind and the quality of our thoughts. The fastest and most effective way of ensuring that the content that streams through our mind stems from the deepest place that we can gain access to. 
Meditation is a systematic approach to making contact with that deeper, quieter aspect of our experience of being human. When we stabilize that deeper, quieter state with our eyes open, what we notice naturally and spontaneously is that our thoughts emerge from that place. The result is clearer, more coherent, creative, dynamic thinking. And when our mind is filled with clear, coherent dynamism, thoughts cease to be a problem and it ceases to be a phenomenon that we are questioning whether we should trust or not. It just becomes clear that what we're experiencing inside of our mind is relevant, powerful and purposeful. Special thanks to our show producers Trevor Exter and Sean Tomlin, music by Ali. Special thanks to Andrea Stern for allowing us to record all of our sessions in her beautiful studio and to all the One Giant Mind team. Thank you for listening and being a part of One Giant Mind. If you don't already and you're interested in learning to meditate, an easy free way is to download the One Giant Mind Learn Meditation mobile app on iTunes or Google Play. The best way to learn, however, is from a teacher. And if you're interested in learning the One Giant Mind technique, email us at teachers at onegiantmind.com and we'll help you find a teacher in your area. If you're a passionate meditator and the idea of becoming a teacher is something that inspires you, consider becoming certified with the One Giant Mind Meditation Teacher Training Program that I've developed. The certification program is 100% online and can be done on your smartphone, laptop or tablet anywhere in the world. Teaching could be one of the most fulfilling experiences because you're having such a meaningful impact in people's lives. If you're interested in enrolling and would like to receive a special discount, email teachers at onegiantmind.com and mention the One Giant Mind podcast to get a great discount. Finally, if you enjoy our show, please share it with your friends and give us a review because it improves our rankings and helps others find this podcast. And I really hope you can join us for the next episode.